part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalms 121. I want you to look in your Word. And again, this is one of those things that I ever want you to kind of take focus there as you open up your Bible. I know we always show the verses on the screen, but there's such value of you bringing your own Word with you and, and looking in there so you can kind of look around there so that we can make sure that we're always keeping the Word in context and all those other things that we try to stress. But do you notice that there's a, a couple words there that begin before what, if you want to say, the traditional verse 1 is? Does anybody see that in your Bible? Psalms 121, there's a little descriptive phrase that happens at the very, very beginning of that chapter. Anybody have that? What does that say? The Song of Ascents. How many of y'all have that in your Bible? Hopefully everybody, if you have your Bible, you should have that in there because it's a descriptive word that's given to about 14 different songs, 15 different psalms from Psalms 120 to 134. And these were psalms of songs of ascent. And really it could be used in a lot of different things. As you're going to battle, you could uh, sing this song of ascent. But usually it was when the people would come together during the festival times and the worship times in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is actually up, elevated from the surrounding land that's there. And so as they would come into Jerusalem, they would kind of sing these songs as they were going to worship, as they were going to gather with the other believers, and they would come and they would begin to sing these songs as they would ascend up into these hills of Jerusalem. And that's kind of the context of all of the songs of ascent. When we look at this one in particular, we begin to see that as they go to meet with God, they make this profession. It is both a confession, but it is also a profession of their faith. Look what it says, Psalms 121, verse 1 and 2. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Sentence or question? Question. Very important. We were talking about this in life group this morning, how important it is that we see that this is a question. Have you ever asked that question before? And I lift up my eyes to the hills. And maybe the hill that you're talking about is this battleground that was waiting right before you, this confrontation, something that was going to happen. Maybe it was already happening in your family. Maybe it was at work or some kind of this confrontation that was about to happen. And most of the times, most of us, how many of you like to run from confrontation? That's your nature. Most of us, we don't like, I mean, there's some of you wake up in the morning, if you haven't had a good kind of tussle with somebody, by 8 o'clock you're going, man, this day's wasted. But those are very few and far between. Most people do not like confrontation, and they will do almost anything to get around or kind of go aside of confrontation. We just don't like that. And yet they're ascending up on this hill that's before us. And they ask this so important question. Where's my help come from? There's a battle at the top of this mountain. There's a battle at the top of this place that I don't know that I'm equipped to deal with. And so where's my help going to come? But with that question, there is an answer. And look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. What if he would have left off that last part? My help comes from the Lord. Is that sufficient? Yeah. I mean, anytime that you put, again, it's, it's, 
I was talking in life group. It's like the, the, the teacher in preschool said she was asking the kids questions. What is an animal that looks like a horse? Has black and white stripes? Little kid. Jesus. She goes, no, it's a zebra. And he goes, I thought the answer was always Jesus. And there's a part of this guy that in our faith, we know that the answer is always Jesus. It really is. The answer is always Christ. And when we go and we travel through some mountains this morning, we're going to find that the answer is ultimately always there in Jesus Christ. And so we find a sufficiency. My help comes from the Lord. But he adds in that second part, who made heaven and earth. We begin to see that there's context to this. That this isn't just a, a, a Lord who's present this day, but has always been from eternity past to eternity future. This is, this is a Lord who is Lord over all things. Now, I want you to keep that context. Because this morning, we're going to talk about how as we go through life and we go through this journey that's called life, we're going to come upon mountains. And sometimes we, I mean, sometimes we do have these very affirming thoughts of mountains. At this time of year, we go to the mountains to go look at the beauty of what God has done with the changing the leaves. But a lot of times when we're using that symbolic term, a mountain, we're talking about a confrontation. We're talking about a trouble that awaits us, a situation that we really aren't that excited about. And this morning, we're going to go through a lot of the mountains of the Bible. I started doing a little... Uh, study this past week, and, and we could turn this into a series. We're not. We're just going to talk about it. We're going to look at a couple mountains uh, that we see there. But it's one of those things that when you begin to think of the mountains, when we keep it in the context of something that's really a confrontation, that's a challenge to us, this is not really something that we want to do. And yet there's a view from the top that you can't get from anywhere else. When you look back on your life, some of the most challenging times, if you want to equate those two symbolic mountains, it's the times that God really showed himself so true of his sufficiency. It doesn't mean that there wasn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there wasn't pain. Let's not fool ourselves. We're broken people in a broken world. And yet there is the solution that God has given us of Jesus Christ. So we're always going to be in the tension of those two things until he calls us home. That we are living in a very broken world, a very fallible world, and we are fallible people. And yet we have this redeeming promise, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that there is a finish to this story. And so Christianity is, is something that is there, and yet, not yet. And that's the tension that we live in, even as we would approach Thanksgiving. One of the most tremendous kind of challenges in our Christianity is when they put this date on the calendar, they call it Thanksgiving, and you're supposed to be so thankful for your blessings. Now there's pressure on you to be thankful. But what if you're not really going through thankful times? I'm not saying that there's not always blessings that we could count. We could have sung the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one, and we could have named a lot of blessings. I'm not saying that our life is every, ever void of blessings. I'm just saying there's sometimes in our lives that, all of a sudden there's this date, Thanksgiving, and we know that we should be the leaders as Christian people, followers of God himself, that we should be thankful. And yet we come upon times in our lives when really we're kind of where we are, current situation. God, I'm much more in the crystals than I am in a place of Thanksgiving. So what do we do? This morning... Uh, I want us to climb a couple of mountains that are there in the Bible and see what God revealed about himself there. 
to be able to show this morning that, that God is uh, very much this, this God of the mountaintop and that there's some things that we find from the top of the mountain that we're not going to experience in the valley so that we can have the courage that even though we do not feel like climbing this mountain, we'd much rather either stop, go the other way, or go around it, that we would have the courage to climb and have that place where even if it's frictional, even if it's confrontational, that we say, okay, God, there's something that you want me to learn and mature in as I go up and face this mountain in my life. Turn over to Genesis chapter 8. It's one of the first mountains that we really see kind of specifically mentioned in the Bible. It's Mount Ararat. And this is a time when God had created everything. Everything was, that he created was good. And yet when man came, we kind of blow the whole deal. We, we bring sin into the world. And sin brings a brokenness, and it brings a brokenness to the perfect things of God. And so by the time that we get to Genesis, at this point, Genesis 8, the world is really kind of a very sinful place. And there's rebellion and there's brokenness and there's all this, these things that are happening. And this was not God's original design. And the Bible says that, that God regrets that he made this. Now, we have to understand there's a whole theology behind that and there's a whole other sermon there. But, but he decides that he's going to destroy the world except for this one family that has been faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. And so he calls out Noah and he calls out Noah to do something to build this ark. And he builds this ark, and even though people laugh at him and they are very much questioning, okay, who told you to do this? It's going to what? It's going to rain? And they had never really experienced rain in that capacity. And so everything was foreign to them. And yet Noah was faithful, and he followed what God told him to do. And just as God had said, the rains did come, and it rained for 40 days, and it rained uh, for 40 nights. And it became one of those challenges and where all of a sudden the, the floodwaters grew more and more and more and the floods came. It says that they remained for another 150 days. You can kind of go through there. And theologians have always questioned how long did the floodwaters kind of come into the world. But look what it says in verse 1 through 4. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So for 40 days, 40 nights, it it rains, it floods the earth, it continues to to flood. For 150 days, they're just floating around. They see nothing. And then God remembers, not because he forgot, but it's just saying that he's being faithful to the covenant. He's being faithful to the promise. And he begins to blow, the the winds begin to blow and dry up. And look what happens. Verse 2, And the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rains from the heavens were restrained. And the waters receded in the earth, from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Scholars agree that this is one of the first pictures we get in the Old Testament of a pre-picture of Christ. That in the midst of this flood, this thing that comes along, this judgment that comes along to destroy that which is evil, that God puts a form of protection. And I've preached sermons before about, uh, you know, the ark is of this picture of Christ. Even the pitch that they put on the ark to keep the waters out is kind of a picture of his blood. There's so many different illustrations that we can say, okay, this is kind of this pre-picture of what God's going to do in Jesus Christ eventually. But here's what I want you to gather this morning, that sometimes mountains in our lives 
even though most of the time we don't want to climb these mountains, they're actually a place of rest. They're actually a place where God begins to renew something in our life. That was the case here in Genesis. God flooded the world. There was nothing but water. They can see no land whatsoever. And then God begins to dry up the waters so that a land emerges. And there's going to be times that mountains in your life are just that. There are times that God is going to provide for you a place of rest, a place where you can renew, a time where you can kind of start again. Isn't that great about God? I think one of the most redeeming things, besides the theology of salvation, is the practical application that even if I blew it yesterday, there's still consequences to the choices I make. But isn't it great to know that with God you can truly start again? See, in this Thanksgiving, I mean, where would we be if we didn't have this restart, if we didn't have this opportunity to be renewed in Christ Jesus? So sometimes we see these pictures of mountains, and sometimes God's going to put a mountain in your life, and he's put it there for a purpose of rest and renewal for your life. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. We're going to go to another mountain because we see this one mountain. It's a, it's a mountain of rest. But then this other mountain that comes on, when we begin to go through the word, we find this other mountain. And this is a mountain of challenge. This is the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. If you don't know the backstory, let me briefly, briefly give you that. If you're kind of new to the word, if you're unfamiliar with some of the context of the Bible and Abraham was this man of God that he called out of a place where Abraham didn't go to God. God went to Abraham and said, you know, I want to make of you this great nation. I want to give you descendants that are more than even the sands, than all the beaches. Abraham's pretty excited about that because he doesn't have a son. And back in those days, just like it would be in these days, we, we kind of, you know, we like to have children perhaps. And, and we really want a heritage to kind of outlive our own life. And Abraham was like that, especially when it came with the promise of God that God was going to use this to to call out a people from him. And so we go from a mountain that provided rest for one to a place where all of a sudden we have a mountain of challenge for another one, even though he's been faithful to God. Abraham, again, like Noah, not perfect, but faithful. And God asked of this faithful man, to do something that is unthinkable to us. Look what it says, Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I mean, I want that first mountain again. Then in a world of judgment, there's a refuge, that there's a place of rescue, a place of rest, a place where we can start again. And yet we see this other person who's just as faithful. Wouldn't you say that Abraham is just as faithful as Noah? I mean, when you kind of think back in your Old Testament people, don't you think that, hey, both of these, they made the Hall of Fame of Faith? I mean, these are two great guys. And yet what we see is that God gives one this place of rest, and this other one, he gives this place that's really going to be kind of confrontational. It's going to be a challenge. Because in Abraham's mind, all of the promises of God that he's really promised God, this called out nation, these people, rest on him having a son. 
And yet, is there anything that you can kind of read in between the lines of verse 2 that you don't understand? I mean, it's pretty black and white, guys. <laughs> this isn't, you know, have you ever tried to wiggle out of God's call upon your life by using fancy terms and changing language? Well, God, you didn't say. And Abraham couldn't go back and say, well, God, you didn't say. And he said, no, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son you love. I know you love him. I acknowledge that you love him. And I want you to take him up on this Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. See, these are the mountains that in life the journey gets pretty weighty. And all of a sudden we find that, that, that even obedient people, people that love God, can be challenged. That's why I wanted to show you both Noah and Abraham together because I want you to see that in one, we have those times that God does provide a place of rest. And man, we've seen nothing but water. And he says, man, there's, there's a rock. There's a refuge. And I'm going to let the ark kind of sit there and the water is going to subside. And you're going to be able to renew. But there's going to be other times that you can be just as faithful. And you can love Jesus just as much, guys. And God puts a hard call upon your life. What does Abraham do? Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. I want to be that man. Seth, I want to be that man. That God asked me this hard thing. The one area of my life that I would want to protect. God, you can have this and this and this and this, but not this. And God calls out for that. I'm not rising up early in the next morning, guys. I'm not, I don't know that I'm even rising up. And yet here's a man of faith. Not a perfect man, but a man of faith. And he rose up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took the two young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood from the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. What incredible faith, what incredible obedience. Look at verse 4 and 5. On the third day, that means that there's been a journey. And he's had to, when you're on a journey and you're facing something that you really don't like, don't those days seem longer For three days, this has been on his mind, but much more than that, it's been on his heart. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his two young men, he had two kind of servant men that helped with him, and they kind of helped along this point. But now he tells those two servant men to stay here. And look what he says. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and we'll worship. Worship? When was the last time that God put a mountain that was going to be confrontational, that was going to be frictional, it's going to call for a sacrifice in your life? And you said, man, I'm ready to go up that mountain because I'm, there's, I'm going to go worship on that mountain. Kicking and screaming is how you would get me up there. Worship is not really the the word that I would say that this would be the attitude of my mind and my heart. Are you with me? 
Now, is he just kind of using language? Is Abraham trying to act all holy? Or does he really believe that even though God has asked him the hardest thing that he could imagine, that obedience to God is an act of worship? That on the top of that mountain, when he's called to do what was impossible for him to humanly comprehend, that it would be an act of worship because he would be obedient to the God who has made him and called him. I've always been amazed at that verse. Well, perhaps you know the rest of the story. They go up there. They're getting the sacrifice together. This whole time, Isaac is, is kind of oblivious to it. They've got the wood. They've got the knife. They've got all the ingredients for this, uh, except for one thing. They, they didn't bring an animal because back in those days, you would have brought a lamb, a, a ram. You would have brought, brought something to sacrifice into the Lord. So look at verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I I have no words for this. It's one thing to ascend to a mountain, to to go to a place of sacrifice, a a place of confrontation, a place of spiritual battle, and to go up that mountain, and and you're going for some just cause. But, But to sacrifice your son... To be called that which is most precious to you in all the world. What you see is the link of the promise and the covenant that God has made with you. Verse 8. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide. Sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Until it's you and you're in Abraham's boots. Doesn't sound as spiritual now. (laughs) Don't miss this, guys. The mountain of sacrifice, the, the mountain of challenge, is also the mountain of provision. The liar, the thief, will not tell you that. He's just going to tell you that there's sacrifice. There's something that has to die on that mountain that will not live again. God says, no, that same mountain of challenge, that from this side of the mountain looks like challenge and it's just confrontation. And there's nothing within your fiber or your soul except for the obedient call of God that wants to go up there and to accomplish this. That is the mountain of provision. Because what happened? I believe with all my heart, that Abraham was on the downward swing of that knife. He tied his son to that altar. And I believe with all my heart that he really was on that downward motion. Verse 10 says, Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your son, your only son from me. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Look at verse 14, guys. Look at verse 14. 
So Abraham called the name of that place what? The same mountain that was a mountain of sacrifice and confrontation and challenge now becomes what? A mountain of provision. Quick question. Could Abraham have known that that was a mountain of provision if he had stayed in the valley, if he had not traveled for three days, had he not followed in obedience to come to this place that he did not want to be, he would not have chosen that in a million years, and yet in obedience to God, in simple faith, because I don't think it was complex faith at all. I think everything, the complexity defied it in his mind. Nothing would have added up. Now we do read that he said, okay, Lord, I know that you could bring him back from the dead. I mean, it's not like, you know, somehow he didn't think that God was, he kind of had an end game as we were talking about in, in life group. He knew that God was going to keep his covenant. Why? Because he's a covenant keeper. And yet, when God doesn't play by our rules and follow kind of by our plan, that mountain of challenge doesn't always become a mountain of provision in our own lives. Because sometimes we never raise the knife. Not trying to be graphic, not trying to be. I'm just saying that's a hard thing, guys. I've already admitted, I wouldn't even made it out of camp. You had me all the way back in that first verse. And early the next morning, he left and saddled up the. I would have never even. I want to be that man. The mountain of challenge becomes the mountain of provision. Uh, understand, please, guys, in a Thanksgiving that maybe you're not really being all that thankful and you still want to be authentic, you don't want to just kind of put on that Christian ease and, well, I'm just blessed. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And that's just not where your heart is this morning. That's not the experience of your life. You're in struggling mode right now. Understand this. Please grasp this beautiful picture of the gospel. Another pre-picture of Christ here. Was it Abraham's responsibility to provide? Or was it God's? You can say it out loud. Unless you were just unsure of the answer. (laughs) And so many times in our own confrontations, we have a mountain of confrontation and challenge and sacrifice before us. We're leaning deeply upon our own strength, our own synapses to line up and make sense. We want to be people of great, great faith. And yet when the complexities of logic, when the complexities of the heart, when the emotions begin to come in conflict... We just don't even want to leave camp. If we do leave camp, we don't want to go out there or we look for some other excuse. And yet we see this faithful one, not a perfect man, but a man of faith, follow through. And we see the whole mountain change its appearance from a mountain of challenge to a mountain of God's provision. And it said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and skip over those next couple um, verses. I I was going to tell you about Elijah on the mountain. Uh, We'll save that for another day.
Let me give you the real quick story. Elijah on the mountain, very faithful. He sees God do incredible things as they make this sacrifice. And he's up against these 450 bells, uh, uh, prophets of Baal, this, this idol god, this false god. And God does this amazing thing. And uh, that just blows your mind that God would you know, use his sacrifice there. And yet in the very next chapter, he runs for his life and he's hiding in a cave. My whole point of that was we can have mountaintop experiences and we want them to stay forever. Have you ever been surprised that you could have great faith one day and you could be scared to death the next day? This is part of the journey, guys. I'm not recommending that. I'm not suggesting that's the right thing. I don't think Elijah should have ever run from Jezebel and and hid in the cave. I'm just saying, is that not the journey, though? That sometimes we see the provision of God. We get up there and we see God take a, a mountain of challenge and confrontation and he turns into a mountain of provision and we're going, great! And in the, ne- the very next evening, the very next day, I mean, the disciples with Christ... He'd fed the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. And yet that night they're on a boat and they're going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they get scared to death. The waves become upon them. And I'm always kind of amazed at what they say to Jesus. Not Jesus, save us. Their first inclination when that storm comes, when waves start to kind of billow over the top of that boat, even though they had just witnessed Jesus feeding thousands out of a little lunch, and yet from their accusing heart came these words. Jesus, do you not care that we perish? Have you ever been there? I mean, take off your holy hat for a little while. Remember what we talked about that 2 p.m. in the morning, I mean, at 2 p.m. in the day, often theology really sounds good. God's promise is really... And 2 a.m. at night, the darkness begins to creep in. The, the liar is rampant. And things that we would believe at 2 p.m. become questionable at 2 a.m. 2 p.m. we see... Thousands being fed at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. Lord, do you not care if I perish? This is the journey of life, guys. Broken people in a broken world. That's why we need one mountain, one mountain to kind of solve all of that. Turn to Mark chapter 15. This last mountain is Mount Calvary. Now, you're not going to find the words Mount Calvary in the scripture. It's going to say Golgotha, the place of the skull. But, but this was the mountain. It's what we commonly refer to as Mount Calvary. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 22, it says, And they brought him, that is Christ, to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So the referral here is Mount Calvary. And they mock him. They do all these things to the very Savior of God the Savior of the world, the very Son of God. And yet, look what happens in verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this, uh, saw this, he breathed his, saw that he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. A lot of mountains are going to come in our lives. And there's going to be times that there's going to be a mountain of rest and recovery and renewal. There's going to be times that the challenge is going to be greater than anything that we could ever imagine bearing. Uh, a mountain where there's confrontation. And, and, and yet, in obedience to faith, we'll see that God is a provider, that he always is a covenant keeper. We're going to, have to see that there are going to be times that we can see from Mount Moriah... <laughs> This one picture, and then we can go over to another mountain in another person's life, like Elijah, and he can have great faith one day, and the very next day he's running from Jezebel. A lot of mountains are in life. But guys, this is the mountain you need to know about. Because this one mountain is going to clear up all those other mountains. It's going to equip you for every other mountain that comes in the journey of life. Because it's on this mountain that God has a full provision for that fallenness. Are you facing a mountain this morning? Then turn to the one who changed the world from a mountain. Where all of a sudden we find hope. We find victory when there was supposed to be defeat. Psalm 121, a song of ascent. A song, a song going to a place of worship. Uh, Jerusalem. A time in their mind they were meeting with God. Now we realize that God is everywhere, but, but in their mind this is what they would have been thinking. Okay, I'm going to meet with God. And so I sing this song of ascent. Because as I go in to meet with God, I find the challenges of my own life, my own sinfulness, my own brokenness, my own faith that kind of wavers. And so I lift up my eyes to the hills. Question, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, made heaven and earth. My help comes from Mount Calvary. My hope comes from one who loved me so much that he would give his own son that would die in my place and fully redeem me from my sins. That paid most of the price, and then I kind of had to kind of put a couple pennies there and on my own part, but no, paid the full price because I never would have been able to pay that price. See, no matter what you're facing this Thanksgiving, no matter what the challenge is, I, I pray that you have a, a Mount Ararat in your life right now. I pray that you have a place where you can go and, and spend stormy waters and the waters have recited a little bit and God just kind of brought you there and all of a sudden the waters, as they recite, you're on this mountain, this solid ground when you've just been floating around and you can say, yes, a place of rest and renewal. Things can begin totally all over again. Because I am your pastor and because you allow me intimacy into some of your lives, I know that many of you are facing much more of a mountain of challenge. And the last thing that I would ever ask of you from uh, being your pastor is, okay, when somebody asks you what your blessings are, you put on the happy face. 
You just don't make I'm blessed. Here's the one truth I want you to understand this morning. This is what, what I guess was on my heart. As challenging as that mountain that, you fa- that you're facing is, ask God by His strength to give you obedience and faith. And you will see, not because of your efforts, but because God is the provider God, that mountain of challenge become the mountain of provision. He did that on Mount Calvary. He took that which is most tragic and he turned it into a total triumph. And this is what he calls you and I into. We're going to end uh, this morning our song of reflection. It is well. It's a familiar hymn. And this morning, I want us to sing that in, in two kind of mindsets. One, is we sing it as a song of confession, that we confess that it's not everything is always well with our soul. Could you agree with that this morning, that, that you could confess that not everything, especially the challenges of life, is not always well with your soul? But yet, the song was written as a song both of confession, confessing that we need that in our lives, but also a song of profession. That because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because we have this God who's a providing God, a covenant keeper, that we can say, even though the circumstances of my life are really kind of frictional, they're unsure, I don't know the end story, but I just know this God. And by faith I can say it is well. It is well with my soul. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Christ Jesus. Father, our hope is not that somehow we're going to avoid in life mountains and challenges. Our hope that is that, Father, as we're faithful and as, Father, as we climb the mountain and we find ourselves in a, in a place where we are not equipped to be able to, to, to truly provide, that you will provide. And, Father, we can say that in, in present tense, but, Father, we can say it in hope and victory because we look in past tense to see that this has already been done on Mount Calvary. That everything that we will ever need, that you have provided through the sacrifice of your Son. So, Father, we sing this song as a song, a profession, that we are a needy people. We are a fallen people. We are sinners and we live among sinners. But, Father, we also sing this in the hope that it was written, that in the midst of a broken and fallen and troublesome world, that because you are a provider, God, covenant keeper, promise maker and promise keeper, and because of what was accomplished on Mount Calvary, we can say this morning, going into this Thanksgiving, or any Thanksgiving, it is well, it is well with our soul. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you. All honor and glory is due you. And we song this, sing this song to you, Father. As we pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.